I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter, and my Glaco pop pop pop, my Glaco pop pop pop, his Glaco pop pop pop, Charlie's Glaco pop pop pop, my Glaco pop pop pop, my Glaco pop pop pop. Fuck, I love that song. And I directed the fifth element for And pops his Glock when required. And I've never popped a clock. Welcome to Ding Digits. When I first heard that song, and it's a typical like radio caller, you know, you're on the air. What do you want to listen to? And and then Literally, she's like, yeah. I want to listen to yeah. the Glocko Pop. He's like the Glocko Pop. And it's just like it descends into madness that song. But fuck, I love it so much, man. I've never ever ever listened to a radio station where they take requests. That just, that's just that that's just screaming. Bad. Closest I had to that was like back in the day. I probably still exist, but like um, those channels where they did music videos and you can call in and just put in a code. Oh yeah, and they just queue it up for it, and they just queue it up. It's yeah, yeah, the halcyon, the halcyon days, relic, relic of the uh, relic of the two thousands. Hi Ben, how's your week been? What business this week? Uh, this week I got into a lot of projects. Yeah, oh, I've been I've been spinning some Spotify. I went to a lot of projects. Uh, Big X the plug dropped Amar A A R. It's it's pretty well established that Big X the plug likes women. He likes them on their <laughs> knees. He likes them thick. He likes them bad. He he just likes women, and there's not heaps else <laughs> going on on this this project. Uh, his vocal presence is very very intense, very brash, very loud. Um, it's okay, man. It's it's all right. It's just. It's a decent, it's a decent listen. I I wasn't a massive fan of it, but you know it was alright. Next one is horrible. <clears throat> Horseshoe Gang dropped a new project. Now I had some sort of like belief that the Horseshoe Gang were like real rappers, like they they spit bars. I mean they've got an album called uh, Anti Trap Music, and they've got another one called Dope Lyrics Matter. So maybe this is a parody EP because it starts with yeah, promise. That sounds like um. Sounds like those Mac Lethal tracks from back in the day. Remember that? Uh, Remember those days? Yeah. <laughs> Look, man, this 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 does start with promise. There's this kind of mournful horn ringing out. I felt like we might get some kind of conductor type energy with some lyrical assassinations. What? But no. But no. A trap beat drops in, and we get "fuck you too, little bitch." Fuck you too, little bitch. Repeated ad nauseum, broken up occasionally with "it's fuck you." Then I'll fuck that bitch you with. Then they just drop into these horrible, horrible trap flows. Horrible. Somehow it then gets worse. We get Zodiac Killer, which is totally unlistenable. The hook is bad, but the verses are far worse. Evidently they're trying some sort of like extended metaphor or double meaning with star signs and gang signs. Like if a woman asks you your star sign and it doesn't align with hers, she kills your relationship. But we get woeful, woeful bars like, I'm whatever sign's going to get you this dick. It's just, it, it is 
I don't understand what this is. I, I don't get it. Like, this is the worst project I've heard all decade. Like, who is this designed to appeal to? Like, maybe if Eminem fans had a second lobotomy, that's who this album would be targeted at. It is horrible. Awful. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Awful, awful. Shy Glizzy dropped a tape called Flowers. This one's bad too, miss. It's the bad stuff this week, bro, I tell you. Uh, the features on this, the tracks with the features, Shy Glizzy's done the old, like, well, not old school, it's kind of a new thing with, with streaming. He's made the best tracks the ones with the features. So, you know, you, you're a 21 Savage fan, and you see Shy Glizzy doing a tape with, with a track with 21 Savage, you go straight to it, and it hits, man, it bangs. And you're like, ooh, this is great, I'm gonna check out the rest of the album. No, 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 man. The rest of the project is just this off-kilter warbling over bargain basement instrumentals. It's, it's almost like someone typed in 3 out of 10 trap album into chat GPT and, and they just said, create this. It, it's horrible. It's not worth your time, man. It's, it's disappointing because I was excited for this record, but it's, it's not it. Sierra Kid, keep it to yourself. Now we get to the good stuff. Um, super solid, very passionate EP stacked with difficult emotions, menacing energy, some really dark downtrodden stuff in here. Waste, waste your time, very st- strong track. Kind of explodes into life, that song, for about 30 seconds, then retreats back into this melancholy. Uh, it's a great project, man. It it just has this insistent, urgent feel underneath everything. I, I really enjoyed it. Shady Blue, uh, topic of discussion. I'm running through these, but I've got like 11 albums, man, and I listened to like 15. Uh, this is a good project, a few solid bangers, a couple of misses, but I really did enjoy that. Topic of discussion by Shady Blue. Hus Kingpin, a poem in 10 books. I really love Hus Kingpin's vocals, you know, genuinely expressive and full of that like 90s gravel, you know, that JD Kiss gravel. Um, he always threatens to take the underground by storm. I feel like everyone knows about him and listens to him. But he only has 44,000 monthly Spotify listens. I always feel like he needs like 10 times that at least. Um, he may be the most experimental and inventive of the 90s revivalists in the underground right now. And I feel like this is a far more straight-laced record than some of his previous work. It's not to say it's a hit boy album, but you know, it, it's pretty... It, there's nothing super challenging on here. Uh, I think Art of the Voice or Art of Voice is probably the quintessential Husking Pin track because I think whilst his instrumentals are often entirely unique and very abstract, I always feel like it's his voice taking center stage, which is a very difficult thing to do. You know, if you're rapping over, you know, Portishead instrumentals and all these different kinds of things that he does, for your voice to still be the thing that people come back to, and that's what I feel is the appeal of a Husking Pin album, very difficult to do, but... Absolutely, and I fully recommend this. It's short. I think it's only like 25 minutes. It's, it's not super long, so it's well worth your time. Babystone Gorillas. this one is not short. 78 minutes and 23 tracks is wild. There is no way this album needed to be even half that long. After the third track, it runs entirely out of ideas, and it's like a record skipping, like a vinyl record, just over and over, playing the same thing over and over. It's a real slog which is a real pity because I was so excited for this record. The singles they dropped beforehand were incredible. They were incendiary. They were aggressive. They were so much energy. I think if they broke this project up into three different projects, like eight or nine tracks each, and then just like, you know, filtered them out across the rest of the year, I think that'd be amazing. I think they'd all hit really hard, but just putting it all in the same album, 23 tracks, man, is 
because they they got some wild bars, man. They fall like, over each other to just say the wildest thing, and I think it's great. But when it's just constant, it, yeah, it's, it's a bit too much. Twenty three tracks these days, that's a lot, man. I know back in the day they did it, but you spent like twenty five dollars on an album on a CD. I'm not paying twenty five dollars for an eight track CD. I promise you that. I want. 50 tra- I want everything, bro. I want the B-sides, the C-sides, the D-sides. I want everything on the cutting room floor on my $25 album. But if I'm listening to it for free and 40 albums released this week, I only want eight tracks. That's all I want. Cash Doll, back on Dexter. This is a banger, man. Bangers on bangers on bangers on bangers. DJ Drama's on the tapes are genuine gangster grills, and he helpfully addresses the elephant in the room that he doesn't do many gangster grills tapes for women. But when he does... The women are bad. So thank you, DJ Drama, for explaining your process for selecting female MCs to work with and just, like, putting it out there. Just, like, I don't know if he realizes what he said, but he said it, and it's just... On the Rick Ross book of collaboration. Yes, exactly right. Um, Without the self-awareness, because maybe Rick Ross, I didn't even listen to the interview. I just read the quotes. Who knows? I don't care about all that. So thank you, DJ Drama, for that. I think the tape is nasty as fuck. The production is top tier. The guests all drop by and deliver fucking worldies, man. Payroll Giovanni, uh, Babyface Ray, Sada Baby. Sada Baby was wild with it. He interpolated Outcast Rosa Parks in the middle of this very sexual verse. And it just hits you in the face like, wait, what? Did you seriously just do that? Like, oh my god. Um, I swear Vezo was incredible. And it's a great tape. Cash Doll, I think, proved like a far more than adequate main star. I think she never was outshone by any of the features, which is a pretty difficult thing to do. So, great tape. Uh, Lance Skywalker. Finally, man. Eight years we've been waiting for this tape. I think it's eight years. Seven years. 2016. Um, This is a trip, man. I, I doubt anyone on first listen could predict where it was going next. And as Charlie said off air, you wouldn't be able to anyway because no one could remember what his last album sounded like because it was to 2016 like we were different people back then the world was a different place i think the opening track friends has some of the clearest vocals on the record it feels like a bit of a waltz in a summer breeze and there's these like delicately arranged guitars that you kind of expect to greet you as you stepped off the plane onto a tropical island in the pacific or something you know it's very interesting very interesting then we get ig which sounds like oh my god man low down bass distortion it sounds like your vibrator is having a bad day. It's just like aggressive and just mad distortion. It's crazy. Great percussion on this. It feels like this album is sequenced so weirdly. I just want, kind of sounds like a natural progression from the first track, but it's track number seven. Yet the fourth and the fifth track feel like real perfect companions to each other. I think Beantown is a is a really good track. I mean, that came out prior to the album. Um, and, you know, when we, when we all heard it, I guess we kind of thought that that was the direction it was going to go that sounds more like the first track but there's a lot of yeah just a lot of like distorted noise on here and i think it's a beautiful listen i think uh there's a lot of rough edges and then he smooths them and then he roughs them up again it's it's very fascinating listen i fully recommend it. it it doesn't really get into a flow it doesn't really get into a melodic section it doesn't you don't get into the album you don't sit there and kind of vibe to it it's just throwing you all over the place and i really like that um nejma nefertiti uh, dropped a project, freaking brilliant, freaking brilliant. Like, imagine you gave early Tribe instrumentals to Madlib and then put Lauren Hill on top of them. 
like this jazz, this boom bap. She's spitting fucking bars, man. Lyrical eviscerations on here. Great project. And the flows. The flows are cold. They're cold. Like she can rap really fucking well. Uh, I love that project. So uh, shout out to Charlie for sending that to me. Um, great project. And then the final one is Live Live. Do you know how to pronounce her name? I think the, the E it's is Live. Yeah, the E is silent. So this is a very tough one to pin down. There's a song called Lake Psilocybin. And the album kind of feels like an artistic expression of how the mind makes connections when it's under the influence of hallucinogens. Like, it can kind of jump in an instant, but I've always found it to be really easy to maintain a singular thought or emotion, like the one I went into that experience with. And I think this record feels quite similar. Like, there's a common energy running underneath every track. It's almost like static noise. Um, it's warm, but it's also exciting at the same time. But on top of that, there's chaos at times and there's beauty at other times, but it's quite fluid. It changes. You know, songs disintegrate and then reform. And I think her voice is it's another instrument. You know, it's at the forefront at times. It's way back in the mix at other times. It doesn't announce itself or steal the show. The show is all the moving parts working, not in harmony, but I think together to create something pretty challenging, but also exhilarating. But unlike the Lance Skywalker album, I felt like I got into this vibe very easily and sat with it and listened to it over and over again. Um, and it became, became kind of addictive. I really just kept listening to it. It was such a nice place to be listening to this record. So yeah, I've never listened to them before, but this is a brilliant record. I fully recommend it. Oh, that was that was me, Charlie. There's a lot of albums <laughs> about yourself. Um, but yeah, I got into I got into a fair few. Probably the most I have. Yeah, probably the most I've had uh, so far in a week. Um, so start off uh, one I got sent. Uh, I'm assuming it's called Cold Man or Cold X Man. Oh yeah, it's literally spelled Cold X. Interesting to see so, how you feel about this one. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's um yeah it's from a uh Amor Fatty is the name of the album and uh, yeah I just got sent it um uh basically uh, Coleman Hughes is the dude's name um he's a podcaster and writer and apparently jazz prodigy um from the look at the uh from the email I got um but yeah basically uh yeah I, I like this album um they gave like a ten they gave like a description of like the influences um including drake trippy red j cole kendrick chance lil peep kid cuddy eminem l sweatshirt fat ocean number two madlib charles gambina the alchemist yay and jay-z so that's a lot of inspirations right <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh some of them some of them come through more than the others um there was one particular track that just gave off big fucking earl vibes um, it might have been forward. Uh, I, I forget the particular track, but um, yeah, uh, there's uh, some of the inspirations, like I said, come through more than others. But um, overall, it's actually a very decent project. I actually can't complain about it too much. Um, Ten tracks, thirty-three minutes, very solid listen. Um, some nice variety going on. Um, doesn't keeps you keeps you keeps you on your toes. I'll say that. Um, every track has its own uh, little flavor to it, and uh, yeah, I can't complain about that. Nice and varied. I uh, can't complain at all. Uh, Nedjman Nefertiti and Donati, uh, rapper Wera. Um, I think uh, been pretty, pretty fucking succinctly to me, um, just uh, in terms of how, if you guys haven't listened to Nedjman Nefertiti, of what you, how, what you can expect. Um, and yeah, um, I like the I like the interludes in between. 
Um, I like that just balance of MC and producer doing their thing. I really enjoy that. Um, it's literally only, I think, 15 minutes, 13, 15 minutes. Um, so it's, it's not even that long. Um, nice and nice and short little EP. And um, yeah, man, just uh, just definitely replayable. Definitely one you can just constantly just put on loop and uh, it'll just keep being banging and keep being fresh. Uh, big X to plug, um, Amar. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just, I just love the, I just love the confidence of the dude, man. I, I love his, I love his vocals, his demeanor. It's, it's very bumping the whip music. If you're not exactly listening to the lyrics too much, um, but yes, the lyrical content is very heavy on uh, just uh, w- types of women he likes. Um, so yeah, in the uh, very, very two life crew in its lyricism. Um, but past that, it's just top tier, just like fucking texas hip-hop right now and it's just booming bass his voice is booming it's thick it's just great it's a it's a it's a very uh hype record uh, for me so yeah uh shout out to biggest plug uh back with sweetie friend of 5e back with sweetie sweet screwed mm. by the uh, by what is sweetie. the worst um uh uh, uh producer tank um in my eyes 3am, that's literally what the dude's, uh, what it is, and it's, it's just, it, did that hurt your one. ears? Good. Did that hurt your ears? Good, because it hurts my ears every time I hear it, um, just fucking just dropped into any point of the track, and it's just, ay-yay, but, if you like Chopped and Screwed, and if you like Back with Sweetie, there you go, <clears throat> it's, it's as simple as that, um, using some AI art, as um, I'm pretty much uh, estimating. Um, shall I say provocative bit of AI art um, as the as the uh, as the cover and uh, yeah man it's just uh, I remember she told me about um, just her affinity for Chopped and Screwed she has a couple of tracks in her back catalogue that are also Chopped and Screwed um, so this is expected um, if you followed her for a minute um, like I have and um, yeah so it's solid um, there's some couple of new tracks in there I think The Fuck Is You On is the one of them um, but yeah majority of them are just obviously as you can imagine tracks uh, from uh, from her previous work, and uh, yeah, if you like chopped, it obviously chopped and screwed is just a, a an acquired taste. You either like it or you don't. Um, so if you like chopped and screwed, I suggest give this a spin. If you if you haven't spun back with sweet before, because um, uh, some good stuff on there. Um, something I found from Bandcamp as well. Uh, that while I was looking, uh, while I was listening to back sweet, the vitamin C spelled C E A. What a day. Um, so this is a nice little EP from, I think, if I remember correctly, it's either Missouri or Mississippi based size. So I know it starts with an M. I should probably be specific. But um, yeah, uh, just from Middle America, South America. Um, and yeah, man, just the the R&B vibes on here. Top fucking tier. The title track is like six minutes and it's like a dream. It's, it's beautiful. Um, and yeah, man, the whole EP is just really... Really nice to listen to. Literally just saw it. I think it got um spun on like a Bandcamp radio or something earlier in the year. And I just saw it and I was like, yeah, go on then. Let's give it a spin. And uh, yeah, I was not disappointed. Um, some really good R&B coming from a nice stuff just literally discovered. So uh, um, shout out to the vitamin C. Uh, Live.e. Uh, girl in a half pearl. Um <laughs> I, I just I keep I, I remember listening to her her previous album and uh, I've come out with the exact same reaction. I have no idea what I'm listening to, but I like it. <laughs> it's, just, 
It just I can't describe it. Um, it's esoteric as fuck. Um, shit's going on, but it's just somehow vibing. I don't know. Um, she's actually going to be across the tracks, uh, which I'm uh, hitting in late May. So uh, I actually wasn't. I forgot what track it was, but there was one I was just like, "Oh, this actually might hit very nice live." Um, so yeah, might uh, might might see what the schedule's saying on that front, and uh, she's uh, she's on the schedule. Um, I might go see her live, and I'll I'll report back uh, for those interested. Uh, Last Sky, uh, Skywalker, autodidactic. Um, so the joke I made um, before Ben began pertaining to Spotify was that um, as a current half Spotify half title user, um, the Last Skywalker album is not on title as of this recording, oh. and um, I'm just wondering how you are title and you don't have an album from literally one of the most notable labels in music in US music right now. It's just, it's just a bit it doesn't make sense. It doesn't correlate. I don't understand. Um it's not like you're a streaming site from, you know, India, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's not you're not ta- you're tailored to this. You're tailored to Western music right now. So how do you not have Lance Skywalker? Um but yet you have, you know, albums that I've already that I've, uh, I've already talked about today. Right? Doesn't make sense. Um, but anyway. Um, yeah, again, I don't remember the um <laughs> I literally don't remember the first album at all. So I ke- I consider this a, just a complete fresh new fresh eyes on this front, fresh ears, so to speak. Um you know, it's it's calm, it's calm. Um I like the parallels you draw the live album to this, um, which does have this esoteric nature to it. Um it's not something that you really would expect from at least a you know a traditional TDE album that's for sure, um, but you know it's 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 its own thing. It's unique in that sense, and I respect that. Um, the features with Absol and Isaiah Rashad are kind of just like I don't know. Kind of reminds me of um like how Fred again's doing his work recently, where he's just like recording people and they're making songs off off of what they're saying. Um, it's kind of similar to that. And um, I like that formula. Um, I like the Isaiah Rashad one. I like the the, the production going on in there. Um, very solid. But yeah, um, overall, I just um, I don't know. I don't know. It's just it's it's calm. <laughs> I can't can't really complain about it. It's it's fine. It's not um, crap or anything. It's a solid listen. I think um, I didn't really have any qualms about it. But then again, I didn't really have anything that blew my mind. You know what I mean? Like some of the I found the vocals. You know, I get, I get it, I understand it, but I'm just not really into that kind of vocal delivery of just like having it. I wouldn't say muffled, but you know, just but muffled <laughs> for lack of a better word. Uh, but anyway, uh, last two Barwo legitimate cause. I think I see you say Barwo. Um, really like this album. Shout out to Mickey who put me onto this um like a week or so ago. Um, been meaning to listen to it, and yeah, this is really really solid. Uh, Twenty four minutes, seven tracks. Um and yeah, it's got really. It's kind of like it gives me that what I wanted the Stormzy album to be. Um, from last year, um, I think Stormzy went away. Well, we talked about it before, but I feel like Barlow did it in a way which I felt was uh more engaging. I would say. Um, I mean, if you mention Little Sims in the first track, I mean, you got me right. You know, what I mean, if you if you if you're recognizing Little Sims, then you know, got 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 a spin, got to be done. I'm half joking, but um, yeah, past that, um, it's got some really nice melodic. It's it's melodic rap in that sense, right? 
Um, but you know, he's talking about you know relationships and things like that. And um, it's a really good, it's a really good record. Nice, nice, nice little EP. Definitely um, best one I've listened to so far um, out of the year. Um, and yeah, shout out to shout out to Bahwa. Uh And lastly, Monster Florence <coughs> uh, Master System. Um, I have no idea how I discovered this group. Um, this group actually came out of something very, uh, of literally like a one-off thing. Um, I think the story was like they participated in a one-off, uh, as a one-off performance together, and then they just decided to keep going. Um, so this is their sophomore album. I didn't listen to the first one a few years ago. Um, but so I've literally just discovered them now recently. Um, but yeah, this is a very interesting album. It kind of, it's kind of like Kid Cudi, um mixed with some like it, it, it's like Kid Cudi if he was over some like indie rock which we ha- which he has done before um but yeah it's got this mellow attitude towards it there's multiple there's multiple um uh there's multiple vocalists here um just some brothers just just rapping and um yeah and also the streets give me some streets vibes as well um maybe not early streets but more like the um, I forget the album. I forget the album where he's like at East Anglia University or something like that. And he's like it's like that little little room, um, but similar to that, similar to like uh, mid mid uh, mid twenty tens uh, or no early twenty ten streets. But anyway, um, but yeah, give me that. Give me those essences. Um, so if you like that kind of thing, I feel like it's worth a listen. Um, it's not really strictly hip hop on that sense, but the bars are nice. There's a really good. Um, there's a really good uh, just uh, verse in the last track. Uh, where I'm paraphrasing, but he's referencing, I mean, the track's, I think, called, uh, let me look up the track, <coughs> the track name. It's like, do birds uh, sing in hell? Yeah, do the birds still sing in hell? And he asks that que- and dude asks that question, and he says um, something about, uh, nah, but maybe they tweet, referencing Twitter, and I was just like, that's perfect, perfect, perfect visual. Perfect visuals of a Twitter hellscape, which is literally what Twitter is at this point. Um, but anyway. Outstanding. I didn't want to listen to the uh, K- uh, Kalela album, but I didn't get time, so I might. Uh, oh, I did listen to that actually, and I completely forgot to talk about it. It is really good. Uh, it's really. I fully recommend people go check it out. The, there's some yeah. really interesting electronic, like EDM sections in it. Yeah, mm. man. Fully yeah, I, rec- rem- I, I remember listening to a week. previous album a few years ago, um, and it wasn't really what I expected, um, and I kind of kind of put me off. But I listened to it again, like a like a year or so later and I was just like oh okay I'm getting in now because you know you see I, I, I linked her to like you know Jamila Woods around that time and others like uh, Mariba as well and obviously they have completely different vibes to what Kalela's doing um, so uh, that was just false categorising by me and I, uh, but and, but uh, yeah I'm looking forward to spinning that and I'll report back next week but then we have the topic for this episode, which is the final solo retrospective in our Book of Woo series, chapter 10, Rizza, uh and uh, Bobby Digital, most, most notably. Um, but yeah, uh, finally getting into Rizza, um story, and obviously he's linked towards everything that we've talked about in the previous nine episodes, which is obviously heavily linked. Um, but yeah, interesting, and I'll, and I'll Produce this opening salvo, and then I'll hand off the bim. Interesting how he has such genius moments in, in some of the other Wu solo work, and obviously the whole group Wu Tang work. 
And then his solo work is not that. <laughs> so, yeah. It's interesting to go into go into his work, you know, listening to, you know, all the, all, all the, all the, you know, she did Raycon and Ghostface and Jizz. And then you're listening to his stuff and it's just like, oh, okay. Interesting. But anyway, what have we got for a bit? Well, we're going to do this one in two parts because it's just, it's too big. It's so big. We're going to talk about uh, just RZA in general, holistically, and then we're going to talk about some of the issues he's had with individual members and then kind of tie that back into, again, who he is holistically, what he means to hip-hop, what he's meant to Wu-Tang. And then next week, we're going to we're going to tackle his solo discography. It might be, this one will probably be a long one. Next one might not be that long at all because the solo yeah. discography is <laughs> if, if we, yeah, we're already nearly half an hour <laughs> Yeah, we we listen to a lot of albums, to be fair. But like, it's very difficult to talk about Riz. I mean, 957 songs in his catalogue as a producer and a, and, a, and a solo artist, 19 times platinum across album and singles for the various people he's produced for. Possibly the producer, and we're going to talk about this, possibly the producer with the most classic albums attributed to him. Definitely want to speak on that. I want to share some numbers. He curated the greatest collective in hip-hop history, you know, something that hasn't even come close to being matched and never will. I don't think there is absolutely no chance uh, that Wu-Tang will ever be recreated. With all the solo careers, the spin-offs, the affiliates, the albums, the mystery, the stories, just it can't be recreated. It, it's never going to happen. You know, I thought about this the other day, like Billboard and Vibe put out their top 50 rappers, greatest rappers of all time. And like... Every Wu, all 10 Wu-Tang members are better rappers than pretty much everyone on that list. How are you going to have 10 MCs that are just that great? It's unbelievable. So as I say, I want to have a more existential discussion about RZA in this episode. You know, trying to summarize the life of an artist so immense is impossible, especially someone who is a co-creator of a TV show summarizing his own life. It's a very foolish idea to then try and summarize someone's life who they're already doing a TV show summarizing their own life. So I think we can look at RZA holistically, more than just his backstory, his origin story, but who he is to music, and more importantly, who he is to Wu-Tang. RZA is the myth that's played out in front of our very eyes for 35 years now. Raekwon described him to Vlad as the overlord who brought peace between warring families, um, you know, something Ray and Ghost know all too well. You know, RZA was the peacemaker, he was the inventor, the manifester. He was the center of gravity for creative expression. Various Wu members have described him as existing pretty much everywhere. You know, we've spoken in depth about the legendary tension and rivalry between Stapleton and Park Hill, the two areas that spawned Wu-Tang. RZA existed outside of that ecosystem. He was born in Brownsville, but he traveled to North Carolina during summers. He lived in Ohio for a while in the very early 90s. He would often visit Pittsburgh, where his father lived, and no other Wu member outside of Cappadonna was as well-traveled so early in their life. Now, the image of RZA as a sanctuary for Wu members during the late 80s and early 90s is very potent because his apartment in the city became a refuge from the craziness of the streets, which is what most of the Wu-Tang members were embroiled in during the 80s. Um, and it was I think it was touching pretty much every single member. I don't think there was a member that wasn't involved. And what's not often spoken about is RZA was just as heavily involved in these things as the rest of the group. But like everything else surrounding him, we only really know what he's chosen to tell us. He was actually charged with attempted murder in Ohio. Why am I? I'm struggling to say Ohio. I don't know why. That's a tough one. Um, yeah, he was charged with attempted murder in Ohio for shooting a man who had kicked his car. 
And RZA actually told George's A3C festival, and this is a very rare interview. He doesn't talk about this very often. He says, we were going through what a lot of young black men were going through from the ages of 14 to 17. Those years, even though I had knowledge of self, I was still living as a member of my environment, of my community. Therefore, participating in everything that we did, drink, smoke, teenage sex, and drug dealing. That's what was happening. That's what we did. Now, RZA was originally signed a Tommy Boy through Jizz's friend Melquam, who we spoke about in the Jizzer episode. I think the Jizzer episode was the first episode we did. Now, when Melquam became involved um, with RZA, RZA was convinced, like, this is what I want to do. So he pawned all the jewelry, he'd amassed hustling, and he funneled every dollar he made into becoming a rapper, um, you know, in his own words. And he just fixated on music. He left the streets, he left everything like that behind. He actually did drop an EP on Tommy Boy under his Prince Rakim alias, but it flopped. And this was largely due to Tommy Boy not clearing one of the samples that RZA used. So he had to scrap the EP and re-release it, and he lost all his momentum, and it didn't perform commercially. Then ironically, Tommy Boy dropped him for his lack of commercial success, even though it was a situation that they completely orchestrated themselves by not clearing the sample, which is really stupid. I think all this is important because we often see RZA in these episodes as the calm parental figure who didn't engage in the craziness himself. You God described his apartment as a sanctuary from the violence and destruction they were engaged in on the street. And Raekwon said RZA was the one who brought those warring factions together. You know, RZA's apartment became this secret house against the world, but RZA was not entirely removed from it. After the Tommy Boy deal fell through, RZA went straight back to what he knew, which was a source of income. And I'll read a section from this Ambrosia for Heads article on RZA's attempted murder charge, because I think it, it just explains it. Um, and this is what RZA said. After our failures, the idea of success in music is dismal. It caused us to retreat back to the streets. In 1990, RZA left New York City to live in Ohio, where his mother stayed. The artist has touched on this period in lyrics, as well as in text, in the Tower of Wu. On weekends, RZA stayed with his stepfather, who ran a convenience store in Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Hills District. RZA continues, um, the streets were not working. Every time you get a package, you can make $10,000. But guess what? Somebody got arrested. Somebody got shot. I kept seeing a cycle of non-success, recalls RZA. And again, speaking from a very business standpoint, and that's what we're going to get into about emotion versus business for RZA. Um, uh, continue. He says... He watched the bad news within his circle transpire on a weekly basis. So-and-so got shot, they stabbed Wise God, they shot Ghostface Killer, it was never right. Then all of a sudden, myself is in some violence, I'm facing eight years in prison. All this knowledge that I accumulated is worth toilet paper right now because I'm not properly utilizing it. So, in a few short weeks, Rizzo was up for felonious assault, Ghostface was shot in Ohio, and his friend Wise God was shot. Rizzo told A3C this, my mother looked me at me with eyes of disappointment. There's no other pain, there's no other pain worse than that for a young man. But my family rallied together. My sister actually took her life savings and bailed me out. I still injured that young man and I regret that. I'm a man of peace. I don't want to injure nobody. Um, so basically he went to trial and he won. He won on self-defense and he got off. And then he said something truly fascinating in this interview after that. It was interspersed with a couple of falsehoods, which we'll talk about. But firstly, he says this about Wu-Tang. And, and I'm saying this because, like, you know, after that craziness that happened in Ohio, he focused entirely on Wu-Tang. I mean, this was the early 90s. This wasn't the mid-80s. Like, this was 91, 92. He says, 
my brothers definitely had love for me. And remember, this interview came out like 2018, 2020. If you go back and you check with Method Man or you check with You God, or you check with Raekwon, you'll see that in the years that we've known each other, they can't pull up nothing from their deck of cards of me doing them wrong. I was always a reliable, honest, loyal, true friend. Mm-mm. No, especially you, God. Like, I don't know why he name dropped you, God. We can get into it, but that statement is going to sound pretty crazy as we get. Then, 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 he says this, okay? And this is the whole premise of this episode. This is where I want to go with this. He says, a democracy would not work. It had to be a dictatorship, but it had to be an agreed upon dictatorship, not a force. I told the group and our managers, I have a vision and I see it. If you give me five years, we're going to be the number one crew in the country. Five years. This was in the winter of 92. This is before recording 36 Chambers. We had only recorded Protect Your Neck at that time. Five years later in the summer of 97, the number one album in the world is Wu-Tang Forever. We delivered. Now, I think that that seven, eight lines perfectly encapsulates RZA. Dictatorship. But the reason it's a dictatorship is because I'm stupidly talented and I'm going to get us to a level that we've never seen or imagined before. And that's 97 is when shit fell apart. You know, after Wu-Tang Forever, things fell apart for Wu-Tang. Now, I think it's the perfect way to transition into his uh, his trans- his musical output as a producer. Because as I say, there's a, there's a pre-97 Wu-Tang, there's a post-97 Wu-Tang. Now, as a producer, and I want to ask Charlie this question, okay? RZA had more than 80% or 80% or more production credit on Takao by Method Man, Jizz's Liquid Swords, ODB's Return to 36 Chambers, Raekwon's uh, Only Built for Cuban Links, Ghostface Iron Man, Wu-Tang Forever, and obviously their debut album, 36 Chambers. Now, I th- and that's eight in a row. Those were the eight that, like, RZA didn't have 80% production on any other albums, just eight stacked up like that. All of those albums are considered classics. They're all considered classics, whether we like Takao as much or Iron Man as, as much. They're classic albums. Takao is a classic album. This is a debut Wu album. That's probably the only one you could say, mm, every single other one. There is no other producer, and I've searched high and long, with 80% or more production in a row, consecutive albums, all considered classics. Now, Charlie, can you think, can you think of anyone that may possibly be in that realm? In hip-hop. I mean, if you can't find it, how the fuck you spent me the Well, I'm curious because I've got names here. I've got names here. I spent a whole day doing this, but I'm very curious. I'm very curious oh, what shit. names come to your mind because there's well, some the, that came well, to my the, mind. Well, the, the thing is, bro, like the, the, the crux of this is the 80% part. Yeah, like, that's a lot. Like, you, like you can say, you can say if, uh, if, it was a, if it was a lesser number, then obviously there would be more people to mention right yes very much so i mean the obvious one's probably kanye at this rate right kanye is the closest um, but the thing with yeah. kanye was and this is the, the distinction i want to make between kanye and rizza is and it's, it's obvious kanye saved his best beats for himself rizza did the literal opposite right. rizza <laughs> gave his best beats to everyone else and saved his yeah. worst beats for himself you know but kanye had you know and, and it's interesting you mentioned kanye because we go and this is in a row only albums he has 80% or more on. College Dropout, B, Late Registration, Graduation, 808s. But then we get GLC's Love, Life, and Loyalty. But he only has production credit on 66%. So he, that doesn't count in here. My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, Wash the Throne. That's seven. 
That's the same as RZA. Then we get Cruel Summer in 2012, which is not a classic album. So even if we're including Kanye's solo work, it's the same as RZA. And that's crazy to me, bro. That's wild. And Kanye's the closest, you know. Kanye's the closest. I can throw out inflow for the moment. Probably not right this moment, but like down the line, on I can imagine him getting there. Cause on the road. And I'm, and obviously he's not like strictly hip hop. I mean, he produced for Adele for fuck's sake, right? Um, but yeah, man, like any of the, I mean, some of, some of those sort of albums have to last the test of time, right? <laughs> There's fucking tons of those. But um, you know, I feel I feel like the in that. I just I just realized as a t- as a minor tangent we don't do classics over here. We really don't. Like like we don't we don't represent we don't say classic like that. It's such a US hip hop com- thing to say. I just it literally just dawned on me that like I don't I don't think we people see like oh yeah, boy in the, boy in the corner classic. Like we don't we don't say it like that. Or we don't do the you know, the tears of like, oh yeah, this is a classic, this ain't a classic. Um, it's just is the shit iconic or not, right? And you know, uh but yeah, that that just that literally just dawned upon me that um I was trying to think of people and then I was trying to think of like I don't know, is there any UK producers maybe? And I was like, Oh, maybe Inflow and then and I was just like, We don't do classics over here. Like, how are you gonna Nobody's gonna call Michael Kiwanuka's self uh, self titled album like, oh, that's a classic, bro. You know what I mean? Like, that's not that's not how people talk about about those kind of albums. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. Well, the answer is no, obviously. <laughs> I I do not know any. Yeah, I mean, I think I actually think the word classic kind of came a little bit from people looking at Britain. It definitely came from people looking at like the British uh, electronic scene and also the British indie rock scene. But anyway, that's a whole other conversation. We'll talk about that okay. another day. But yeah. I looked at Manny Fresh. You know, he only really... He had mm. the second most... Um, I, it, it, I've got the tweet somewhere, but Manny Fresh and Dr. Dre had the two most commercially successful runs as producers, like a four-year run. Right. But yeah. really only 400 Degrees is the undisputed classic in that. And, you know, the Hot Boys debut maybe, but, you know, he did a couple of Lil Wayne albums, those first two that weren't classics they were good albums the block is how hot. many does dre have then because i'm so thinking Dr. of i'm thinking of albums that he's obviously bit, had his hand in for obvious reasons like eminem 50 cent which had its uh 25 20, 20th anniversary the uh to get richard i this, this week yeah um, shout out to that but um, yeah um so obviously he's that 80 percent. the thing with dr dre is um if we go from the 80s he did a jj fat album you know but then he did doggy style and then okay. back to back yeah <laughs> he did jj fat album um, sure. He did Chronic and Doggy Style back to back, but then his very next right. one was Aftermath Presents. But then after yeah. that, he doesn't produce full albums barely at all. Even when he does, he pees them really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, even Get Rich or Die Trying, I think he had three beats on there. His Eminem albums, he has like four or five beats. He he does not get eighty percent production on any of those albums. So now Pete Rock, you know, he probably had three, uh, the CL Smooth albums and the I and I album. Um, but apart from that, you know, no. And the I and I album didn't come out until what oh two, even though it was produced in ninety six. That was a bit confusing. There were a couple of albums that got lost and they got re released. Um, yeah. Q Tip had the th- first three Tribe albums, but that's it. Um, Primo, I don't think every single Gangstar album is a classic, so that kind of knocks oh, him there's out. There's people that will make arguments for at least um, 
all of them except the first one. I forget the first name, but the first one's name. But like, you know, Step Into the Arena. Yeah, all of that. Yeah. And Premier uh, doesn't... Uh, people make, like, make an argument for it. Premier doesn't really produce full albums either. I mean, it wasn't really until like P. Rhyme. And he does full albums, but they're like... Prime. You know, I was saying P. Rhyme. P. Rhyme. I always say P. Rhyme, <laughs> Uh, I feel like you're you disrespected. Like, <laughs> you know why? Because since I, I put it in my top ten of the decade, you'd be like, P rhyme, P rhyme, P rhyme. Well, I keep calling S G, who's E S T G. I keep calling him S G, and people are like, bro, it's E S T G. Anyway, I fuck up occasionally. Established G, <laughs> established dot G. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> Primo doesn't do a whole lot of his own, uh, like, genuine, like, full-length albums. Um, That's crazy. Who else have we got in here? We've got Neptunes. Uh, they were primarily mm-hmm. singles producer, but their run from 99 to 2006 is very interesting. So we get Khaleesi. These are all albums that they had 80%, and these are con- consecutive. Kaleidoscope okay. by Khalees, In Search of by NERD, Classic. Wonderland Classic. by Khalees, Lord Willen mm-hmm. by Clips, Clones... Okay. Uh, fly or die, uh, hell hath no fury. So that's seven. But again, clones not a classic. Classics. <laughs> one of one of those Khalees albums is not a both. Probably both those Khalees albums are not not classics. And you know when you think about. I it. think I think the first one is. Yeah, Kaleidoscope. I don't think Wonderland is, but you know it's it's nowhere near. Then we got Timberland. I thought he was a huge chance, but he produced Genuine's Bachelor album, which is a huge miss. We've got the two Magoo albums in there. <laughs> Big misses, Timberland and Magoo. He did produce one in a million with Aaliyah, but there's a lot of misses in the middle. Missy's Missy's a bit similar. Um, you know, Missy's Missy's done the same kind of stuff that, that Timberland did as a producer. That is, uh, and as I say, Kanye West is probably the, the one that's come the closest. But even that, like, it's it's just not the same because RZA did his own stuff. And you know, I yeah. even went through and looked at. Um, I kept going, bro. I just I kept going. Rick Rubin doesn't challenge. He did radio and licensed to ill, um, but then he did tougher than, tougher than leather, not a classic. I think he did one of Walking with a Panther by LL, not a classic. Um, Bomb Squad, that's a squad. I'm not including like collectives, um, you know, so I'm not including that. Diddy's Diddy was a chance, but if you remove his R&B production, uh, he doesn't have 80% on Life After Death. Uh, no way out is a well. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll put Diddy. Don't, don't include Diddy. Miss, apparently, miss me with that. Miss me with that. Don't include Diddy. <laughs> um, organized Noise is obviously a squad, um, but they yeah. only have the first four Outcast albums in their catalog. Dilla didn't yeah. do entire albums except for SV and his own projects. And you know, those yeah. there's a couple of SV albums that are not classics. So that doesn't count. Um, yeah, it's fantastic, really. Yeah. Before Nas, Hitboy wasn't producing full albums. You know, even if we were to say all three King's Diseases are classic, which is impossible right now, it's too early. It's unlikely Magic will be considered a classic in years to come. So that's just sitting in the middle there that breaks the streak. Then we've got Alchemist. So you've got Covert Coop with Currency. But then it's No Idols by Domo Genesis. But then we get Rare Chandeliers with Action Bronson, which might be a classic. But then he dropped his own tape, Russian Roulette. Then Albert Einstein by Prodigy, um, an album from uh, Durag Dynasty. If we fast forward, we have Price of Tea in China, Baldy, Lulu, Conway, Alfredo, his own tape, Carry the Fire, Haram with uh, Armand Hammer, Bo Jackson, Super Tecmo, Bo, Continuance, Rock Marciano's album, The Elephant Man's Bones. That's nine albums, but like, look, if we're, if we're comparing it to Riz's seven, they're great albums. They're great albums. But again, and it's not cons- these none of these are consecutive, right? Is those consecutive? were all consecutive for Alchemist. Those were consecutive. Now that's right, a, okay. that's a that's a solid run. That's a very solid run. 
Is that but, part of the criterion here? Yes, has to be consecutive. Has oh, to be in a row. Nobody's gonna make that, bro. <laughs> that's what I mean. But that's what I mean. Like, I, I can't. I'm, I'm, I'm going to like. I'm. 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 I'm expanding my mind now. I'm just like. I'm like. I'm at Nile Rogers, Quincy Jones. Like exactly, you have I'm to. Just trying to. Like not not if we're doing consecutive, it's not even a it's not even a conversation to have. To be honest, that's the wild that's thing. Absurd. I mean, even Madlib, like not really yeah, Pinata. He did Bad Neighbor with uh, Med and Blue. He did Bandana, The Professionals, yeah. which is his own product. Check Sound yeah. Ancestors, but then he did No Fear of Time. Like no, No ID produced Common's <laughs> first three albums, but then there's a big gap to The Pursuit by Cocaine 80s, then The Believer, <laughs> The Dreamer by Common. Um, then, then okay, so that's not included. That there's not not seven classics there. But then he did nobody smiling. Summertime, these are consecutive. Summertime '06, then four, 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 three in a row. But then he did Vic Mensa's the autobiography. So nobody smiling is not a classic. But yeah. What? That's a brilliant fucking album, bro. It's a good album, but I'm not. But nobody talks about it. So I don't care what people talk about. That's a yeah, classic. And I did, and and everyone just note just note that Aaliyah shade that he produced that Ben dropped a few minutes ago. That was not Aaliyah like shade. That. I was saying that that's a classic. One in a million yeah, you, is a classic. You, you, you say you shaded one in a million. I saw that. I saw that. It's all good. Bro, it's one in a million is a straight up fucking certified. If someone right, says right, what's said, the definition it, of a classic, a okay, right. one in a million is written next to it. There, like it's one in a million. Okay. That's. Okay, all right. That is so Leah shade over here, bro. I fucking love Leah's music. <laughs> then we've got LP. LP could be a chance because four mm. albums from Run the Jewels and Rap Music by Killer Mike came before that and Cancer for mm-hmm. Cure came before that. That's six. But I don't know not if bad, we're calling bad. all four RTJ albums classics. Not Maybe not yet. Maybe not yet. But there's a possibility. I, 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 we, haven't, we haven't done an RTJ retrospective, but as a prelude to it, I don't know which one I like the most, and yeah, I feel that's like hard, that's right? a bad thing. I feel like that's a bad thing. No, right? that's a good like, thing. I'm sure, but like I don't know. It's just it's, I don't know. it's rising tide lifts all ships. I guess I'll, I'll, I'll see it as that. But anyway, classic. I think the third one's a bad. But anyway, Kenny Beats again. But we're looking at. But now we're getting into the point where we're looking at underground cult classics. We're not looking at. And a seven-album run that did this on the Billboard 200. Number 41, then number four, number nine, number seven, number four, number two. Finishing off with number one. No one has done this. The whole reason I'm saying this, the whole reason we went through all those producers, is to just show that what RZA did has never been done. No one's done it. No one's even come remotely close. The only person you could possibly say is Kanye. But Kanye was Kanye. Kanye was doing it himself. Those were his albums. They weren't anyone else's albums, you know. RZA was doing it for all these different albums, you know. Like, on top of the insane critical acclaim on top of that, these weren't just bangers. These were albums that people were like, this is some of the greatest music ever. And that's why I wanted to transition into the issues we members have had with RZA because from every interview I've seen, every book I've read, every album I've heard, RZA is a very fascinating character. He's stupidly talented musically, like a genuine genius. He learned how to produce at age 11 with ODB and they used to produce together. But it wasn't until he was 18 when he was at Easy Mo B's house watching him work on Jizz's pre-Wu-Tang album, Words from the Genius, that he learned what an SP-1200 was, and this kind of like supercharged him as a producer. 
He actually taught Inspector Deck how to produce. There are plenty of stories of him creating beats in just mere minutes that go on to be totally legendary. In an interview with uh, Gino Sorcinelli, Sorcinelli, I hope I pronounced their name correctly, they estimate Gino. that he... They estimated that he created around a thousand beats by the mid nineties, a thousand beats, huh. and they fucking all hit, bro. Like unbelievable. But a genius in so many ways because business wise, his decision to split the group's solo contracts up and sprinkle them around different record labels is a total masterstroke because he recognized there was no way a single label was going to be able to afford to properly back nine brand new solo rappers. Even if Cream blew up, even if Wu-Tang was the biggest group in the world, no label could like have a budget that was going to be enough, a million dollars for every album. They weren't going to invest $10 million or something crazy like that. Uh, so he knew each member had to be individually signed with their own budgets on different labels. So he envisioned a Wu where you know solo members would be the jewel in a major label crown. And he would like give this jewel, like a different jewel to every different major label. It was unbelievable. And... You know, he would teach the Wu members about the scientific process. He would calm them down when they were feeling chaotic after drug use by explaining to them what was happening in their bodies. You know, Raekwon told an interviewer that he was very frank and open. And when he was squashing the beef between Ray and Ghostface, he simply said, let's just make money together. Let's make money together. You know, and Ray agreed. Ghostface agreed. They're like, fuck all this violence. Let's just get money together. But on the flip side, he doesn't seem to have much or any emotional energy or awareness. His solo work as Bobby Digital is abrasive and outright gross at times. Uh, the way he's dealt with the concerns of his group members is dismissive and political. He often talks around problems. He criticizes you without overtly doing it. If you read between the lines of what he says a lot of the time, he positions himself above what he seems to feel are pretty petty disagreements over money or credit. He speaks with the condescending tone of someone who feels maybe that he is on a different level to those around him, which is, you know, it's the 100% the truth. I've literally, and the reason I'm saying that is, and I'm not trying to be really critical, I've just proven that that's the truth. Like, objectively speaking, he is on a level above literally everyone else in the game. Um, but when someone's speaking from a place of emotion, uh, I feel the way to soothe them is not to speak with logic and reason and with facts and figures. And that's what Rizzo will do. If you listen to his interviews, people will be critical of him and he will talk about money or he'll talk about credit or he'll talk about how much, you know, the fact that he let them out of their solo or let them have their own solo. He'll just talk about reason and fact and, and but then they're upset, they're hurt, you know, you God especially is upset with the way that RZA has treated him. And I can only go off what I see in interviews, you know, so this goes both ways because if you're dealing with a dictator by his own words, again, he's called himself that, who lacks emotional depth, you can't appeal to that side of them. You better make sure that whatever deal you sign with them takes that into account. There's not going to be any emotion. He's not going to have, you know, nostalgia or anything like that. He's going to make things from a purely business standpoint. And, you know, I've, I'd be interested to see how you feel about that, Charlie, especially after having gone through all these Wu solo members and the fact that they're all so vibrantly different people Um and Rizza, like, what? How do you even? How do you even conceptualize that? Like, did Rizza have to be this way? Did he have to be the dictator who ruled with an iron fist? Because how else could he have got them all to do what they did? Nice, uh, man, nice uh, little uh, tip of the hat to his uh, films. Uh, There's levels, bro. There's, uh, 
martial arts films. There's levels. Um, I mean, I've never, um, you know, I mean, I've led groups, right? You know, in, you know, university and stuff like that, like projects and that. Um, but nothing to obviously, you know, the level of, you know, <laughs> professional <laughs> music making <laughs> and uh, record deals and all that shit, right? Never, never been near that kind of level. So I can answer how I would do it, right? Um, you know, attitudes are different for everybody and people mesh in sometimes on the face weird ways, right? Um, the fact that, you know, Oasis, for example, right, actually, you know, existed for a decent amount of time, even though the brothers just hated each other, like, and it's, and it's you know, and it's uh, well documented, they just constantly kept beefing. Fleetwood Mac's um, the same, too. Fleetwood Mac, a perfect fucking best example, probably, like, the fact that they were smashing each other. And then writing diss tracks about yeah. each other in the own, on wax. Yeah, like, what albums. are we doing? And it's the littest shit ever as well. And it's so, so good. fucking good as well. Yeah, and they went the and played that shit live every night. Like. Oh, my God. And they played it live and they had to, like, just keep it. And they and they knew it as well. They knew, like, like they, they knew they were writing shit about each other. And it was fire. It was literally, like... Oh, it's just like peak reality music, like not even reality TV, but it's like reality music, like in the, in the every sense of the word. Um, it was absolute perfection, um, and emotional, and you saw it, right, and you felt it. But they kept fucking going, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's freaky to think about. I couldn't think about doing that. Imagine, imagine just like wifing somebody up, and then you're in a you know, like a world-class band with each other, and then you break up, some shit goes sideways, but you're still together as a group, so it's like, okay, let me just write these records about you. <laughs> like, I'm just going to trauma dump <laughs> on these records, and you're going to have to play guitar on it. Like, <laughs> you're doing drums. <laughs> crazy, crazy. Yeah, like, wild. give me a bass lick for this diss track I'm, I'm doing about you. Like, give, give me, give me some... Give me some licks. Um, let me, let me, like, I mean, what we did. What are those? I, I would have loved to have been a just fly on the wall for those for those fucking music sessions, bro. Just just brainstorming shit. Like, hey, hey guys, Stevie, Stevie Nicks comes in. So, hey guys, got this new track for you. <laughs> they just read it and it's like, oh fuck. Anyway, but yeah, you know, some relationships in many professional arenas are just on the face, just batshit and just doesn't make sense and would just give you anxiety even thinking about being in that environment, right? So when it comes to Wu-Tang, I see it and, you know, just <laughs> when a dude calls himself a dictator, ugh, oh, yeah. gosh, that just, that's a red flag for me, geez. <laughs> that's a red fucking flag, like, fucking hell. Like, ugh, that's, that's crazy. Um, But... You can't, you can't diss the results, and that's what it all comes down to, right? Exactly. You can't diss, the, you can't diss the results. Like he's, like you, you've, <clears throat> you've said many a time over the episodes of this series, where Rizzo's done something or said something a little bit, a eh, little bit, eh, and people haven't taken kindly to it. He's made some decisions that people haven't taken kindly to, and we have hypothesized a ton of times about 
um, some people getting preferential treatment. Uh, you know what I mean? So there's there's smoke, right? There's smoke there. But there's also fire in the musical sense. <laughs> there's, smoke in, there's smoke in one sense and there's fire in another. So, but is there any reason to complain? I feel, you know, some people have reasons to complain. Um, but in terms of Riz's style and how he did things, I'm sure he's probably a person that is a less of a regret person and doesn't go through life thinking in that fashion that some people obviously do. Um, but yeah, I I can't I whatever we can say um about his character it kind of eclipses it is get it kind of just gets eclipsed by the product and how and how top tier it is and how that stretch of you know let's just say a decade was just absolutely outstanding and you know like i said we'll get through it we'll get through the musical side next step but fuck man <laughs> like hey man be a dictator bruv crack the whip uh, and is and we haven't really gotten that it's funny he calls himself a dictator but we haven't exactly gotten that kind of essence right i don't think we've gotten like diddy levels of fuckery um i wouldn't i wouldn't say we've gotten that far We've had, um, you know, and if we if we can also add like his brother as well, um, as a managerial force, um, there's been plenty of issues with the group in terms of like, uh, you know, what deals they get or you know how they do things, um, how they, uh, how they do their work, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right? There's been been plenty of friction over the years on that front. But hey, man, does it does it does it all does all those little little irritations um putting that lightly all, all those little irritations sum up to besmirching or regretting being part of a group that's such as iconic as woo i don't know i don't have in the words of justin hunt i don't have the answers to these questions <laughs> i really don't um but yeah, I, I think I feel like I've uh, yeah covered the leadership essence, but yeah, it's just uh, yeah, it's it's hard it's hard to answer like the results of what we have, and they're fucking good results most of the time. So, uh, you know what I mean? So, mm. Yeah, I mean there is as you say where there's smoke, there there is there's fire. Um, you know, it's it's interesting you mentioned Diddy because I I did originally plan to do a Diddy style takedown episode where we kind of detailed what I thought would be a long line of people criticizing RZA. Um, obviously one of my earliest memories of Wu-Tang aside from Gravel Pit, which is on a, like a compilation album I bought in like 2001. And that was the first ever like Wu-Tang song I heard. I fucking loved it. Um, was just hearing constant talk of the group members disliking RZA. You know, once the dust had settled on that classic seven album run, um, and the members were divvying up their takings, some felt a little bit more hard done by than others. And, there's only one artist you could argue in any way still has an outstanding issue with RZA, and that's you, God, which is vastly different to Diddy. Everyone else has resolved their issues with their dictator in inverted commas, however you want to refer to him. You, God, has been the most vocal critic of RZA. I feel like Master Killer or even Inspector Deck probably have more of an axe to grind in terms of solo career. 
Um, but UGOD was the first member to voice the A-team and B-team allegations. Back in 2004, he claimed that RZA had played favorites among the members, saying that Jizza, Meth, ODB, Ghost, and Ray were the A-team, priority number one. Deck, Cap, Master Killer, UGOD were the B-team. And he felt his debut album was not given the Wu-Tang push it deserved because RZA was focused on the affiliates, the Killer Bees. Now, RZA called in to sway whilst UGOD was being interviewed. You, this was back in 04. And the pair agreed on air to settle their differences behind closed doors. Riz's public statement was very political. He told MTV News, this is after you got had just lit him up, right, on air. I would like to add that you got is one of my oldest comrades in this life struggle. And if he has that much pressure on him to fabricate such stories, he should just call me or come see me and we can build. I'd like to ask for the Wu fans to pardon his error and pardon me for having <laughs> to go into our history to clear the blaspheming person. of my name. You God has stated on Hot 97 that his comments were a publicity stunt. What this boils down to is the time for a Wu reunion is approaching fast and nature is making her call. That's a direct quote. And that is just very common across what RZA says about these things. That was not the end of their rift at all. It was not a publicity stunt. You God has kept that fire burning for 20 years, bro, 20 years. He would pop up here and there over the next decade, often hiding some sort of veiled criticism within an interview. And then the pot boiled over in 2018 when he released his memoir. He's scathing in his memoir, scathing. Blames RZA from everything, from misuse of the W logo, the Wu logo, unequal show fees, his production, criticized his production, his lack of collaboration, called him a control freak, something Raekwon has also said, he likened RZA to a cult leader. Now, funnily, UGOT actually calls RZA a dictator, and RZA bizarrely responds thusly to Rolling Stone, if Wu-Tang is a dictatorship, how does every Wu-Tang member have their own contract, their own career, and have put out more albums without me than they've done with me? So I literally quoted RZA at the start of the episode, calling himself a dictator. Now, he's just going back on it. And he says in the, the rest of that statement, he's very scathing. He says, second, and this is like 2018, 2019, it's recent. If I'm the problem for anybody's growth and development in music, then why is it after 18 years, after everybody got released from Wu-Tang Productions contract in 2000, your growth has not shown through your own talent then, if, that's the, if I'm the problem? How come your growth hasn't shown through your own talent? Now, this is purposefully ignorant of the fact that a RZA debut album turned into a guaranteed classic and a non-RZA debut album never produced a classic for a Wu member. No debut Wu solo album with less than 80% RZA production is a universal classic. Every Wu solo album with 80% or more RZA production is one. The only one you could kind of say is Takao by Method Man, maybe. but uh, and, and again, maybe The Pillage. You could kind of say The Pillage is close by Capadonna. You'd be like, eh. But they're on different sides of the line. If, if the classic line is here, Takal is just here, and the pillage is just over here. They're different. They're completely different. So, you know, one thing I mentioned to Charlie, and I think is pertinent, is it seems like more members of the group are unhappy with, with him than just you, God, and Ray. But these two seem to be the spokespeople, you know, either officially or just by default. Because in you, God's memoir, he writes... When Only Built For Cuban Links came out, no one knew that the record was supposed to be the next Wu album. But when Raekwon signed the solo deal, we all agreed to let him have it for his solo joint. No problem. So that was meant to be a Wu album, according to you, God. 
So years later, when revenue streams started drying up, members who were used to living crazy lifestyles started complaining about everyone's fees being equal. This led to some of the guys missing shows, holding the entire group to ransom before agreeing to go on tour. Now, he the implication here is that everyone in the group was just as frustrated with you as you got with the money. They just weren't as publicly vocal. Now, I watched a Method Man video where he explained why he was missing one of the Wu group tours, and he heavily implied that the money wasn't worth his while. What he said was, I'm 49 years old and I have options. Now, you got has just basically told us that is Method Man saying, I'm pissed off at the splits. I'm not getting enough money. So Meth was upset. You know, you, you got has been far more vocal about the Wu logo as well than any other member. This is a very contentious issue in the 2010s. And before I read you God's words, read his words, sorry, I will deliver Riz's explanation. Now, he said, after the second, again, this is all very business, all very political. After the second album he released, all the solo members from their contracts under the Wu-Tang group label, he allowed them to go their separate financial ways under one condition. Wu-Tang Clan and all the associated things, the music, the logos, the shows, stayed tied exclusively to the Wu-Tang label. He also told Hot 97 in this interview that if he flashed the Wu-Tang bat signal in the sky, they had to come. So if he wanted to do an album, they had to contribute. If he wanted to do a show, they had to come. So this was hugely contentious because when he wanted to release A Better Tomorrow in conjunction with their 20th anniversary, he told Hot 97 multiple group members were very resistant to appearing on that album. And his frustration was partly fueled by the fact that he let them out of their individual contracts as long as they followed this rule that they came back. Now, the logo situation also frustrated him greatly. He told Ebro and Rosenberg, some group members were trying to sell the use of the logo onto a third party to use it in conjunction with a third brand. You know, Rizza said that that's unacceptable. Now, you God's words about the logo, he says, DJ Mathematics drew that logo on the back of a napkin back in the day. Rizza quickly trademarked it. And to this very day, his brother beefs when any of the original members attempt to use it. That to me is crazy. I mean, I understand if someone was using it without the group's permission, but the members of the group itself, that's just crazy. Now I can see both sides. Rizza is saying, this is the Wu brand. This is my brand. I'm the one who produced the albums. I'm the one who brought us all together. I'm the one who, I, I am Wu-Tang. I'm the leader, I'm the dictator. And I don't want you taking my brand and doing whatever the fuck you want with it. Because you know what it's gonna be. If, if someone's really struggling financially, they're gonna tap back into the thing that was the cash cow for them in the 90s. Who knows what they're gonna do with it? So I understand that. But you guys also saying, okay, that's cool, bro, but we all, like, without us, there is no Wu-Tang. You know, RZA's solo albums suck. There's no, there's no Wu-Tang without the rest of the Wu-Tang. Yeah, you're a great producer. Ben, and you save till next week. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I mean, I love the, uh, yeah, I like Glockopop, man. Glockopop's my shit. <laughs> So, you know, obviously Divine, week for our thoughts on <laughs> Divine is Riz's brother and business partner. You know, he actually asks the members to pay a fee if they want to use the trademark. Oh, 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 come on, membership? Yes. What are we doing here? Like, oh. Allegedly, according to according Allegedly. to you, got, according to you got. So make of that sure. what you will. I tend sure. to side with Riz a little subscription bit. subscription fee. <laughs> I don't, I don't side with Divine. I think that charging a fee is insane. I think it's cool to say you can't use it for this, but you can use it for that. That's cool, but you can't, you can't charge a fee. So finally, you got confirmed during a Breakfast Club interview that different members are paid different amounts on Wu albums. That also makes sense to me. That also makes perfect sense. I mean, Method Man's yeah. a star. 
he's going to get more money than Master Killer. No offense to Master Killer. And again, you can make the argument that Master Killer is not a star because RZA divined it to be. And that could be the case, but that's just the way it is. Now, again, Raekwon... Raekwon's had his issues too. Raekwon and RZA criticism is so much. It was a good, solid decade. RZA, uh, Raekwon, sorry, released his own album, Shaolin vs. Wu-Tang, which was basically the Wu-Tang album that should have been. He was saying that, I think it was 8 Diagrams or the W, whatever the 2008 one was. He was saying that the production was so bad that he had to make his own Wu-Tang album. And that was another criticism of You God, that the production from RZA was trash from 97 onwards. And that's why... There was all these issues. So, like, that's what I mean. And, you know, I can keep going into quotes. We can keep talking about it. But we've already talked about it in the Raekwon episode. We've already talked about it in the Ghostface episode. If you want to talk about that criticism, you know, you can go back there. Finally, I will say ODB had his own unique situation with RZA as well. RZA himself brought that to light. At ODB funeral, uh, RZA said, and again, we spoke about this, and it was it was pretty brutal. Um, RZA said at ODB's funeral... When I think about Aeson, because that's what I call him, Aeson Unique, I'll take part of the blame because Dirty said to me, and if, bro, this hurts, like I'm getting choked up and he says, yo, I'm dying and I didn't pay attention. I just kind of thought that's just Dirty, you know, he was just saying that. Now, ODB had been suffering contractual issues with RZA and they were actually vocalized by Dame Dash during the VH1 special on ODB's music. If anyone's watched that, it's an interesting watch. It's pretty brutal. During that show, ODB gets a phone call about royalties and contracts, and he says, what's up with RZA? Is something going wrong or something? Talk to me, man. Nip it in the bud. Take care of it. I ain't got no money. I ain't got no dimes in my pocket. And then ODB starts screaming on whoever's on the other end of the phone, and they hang up on him. RZA did address this. He said there's one scene in there where he says, RZA won't let me out of my contract. What the fuck are you doing? He was cursing on camera again. Then RZA starts talking around it. He doesn't actually explain it. He doesn't He doesn't say anything about it. He just talks around it. So he doesn't actually... That's the most direct quote we have about it. Um, and I put that story in because I think it highlights the sole problem underpinning all the criticism from all the members. RZA may be an artist first, but he's a businessman second. And mixing art and business is incredibly volatile. And I would argue that no one has successfully done it thus far. Diddy, J, Master P, it's fucking endless, man. I don't think anyone's done it well. RZA was no different. I don't think it's it's possible to, to placate nine different members with nine different skill sets and nine different careers, especially as they all expand out. Maybe in that first seven years, it wasn't that hard. It was okay because they all were together. But then they all became stars, and they all some of them weren't stars. Some of them were stars. You know, They all started to develop as artists and as, as humans. And then they just went their separate ways. And I think what RZA did is the right thing. He said, go do your thing, whatever you want to do. But Wu-Tang stays this, stays the same. You can't dilute the brand. You can't take the logo and slap it on a Pepsi bottle. You can't, you know, you can't do these things. If I want you to do a Wu album, you come and do a Wu album. I'm not, and he says it to Ebro. He says, I'm not doing a Wu album that I don't produce because it's not a Wu album. He says, go do it if you want. That's cool. But it's not a, you can't call it a Wu-Tang album because Wu-Tang is the 10 members with me producing and the W logo. That's it. Now, take that of that what you will. I've talked a lot. You know, I think people make their own minds up. Yeah, um, it's an interesting sum up. And um, 
Yeah, I feel like in essence, I agree with, you know, the basics of it, right? On the face where it's just like, yeah, I produced the Wu albums. So, and somebody, I, th- I feel like somebody has to be um, the custodian, shall we say, of the entire thing, right? Somebody has to be the custodian of it. And I'd, I'd personally rather it be, you know, the leader of the group and, you know, an artist in, in his own right than, like, Divine, for example, right? <laughs> yeah, you know I mean... Or, or Lee or Cohen like... or something like that. Or, yeah. You know, Jimmy Iovine. You know, you right. want it to be an artist exactly. first. It's, in, it's still in-house, at least, you yeah. know? And that I can respect. Um, and I, you know, I'm obviously... Um, the logo thing has been um, used, you know, in terms of like a first party basis. I mean, like uh, uh, Ghostface has like Woo Goo and, uh, and things like that. Um, and yeah, so, you know, it's been, it's obviously, you haven't, you, you're unaware of Woo Goo. Um, I'm only aware of it because it was at the same time he was like beefing with uh, Shkreli like, on social media and he kept guessing on Woo Goo. So I just saw it in passing. But um, yeah, uh, you know, people have, that kind of those kind of things and you know that's cool as well uh that people can use that um and he doesn't really need to right it's still Ghostface killer like he's, he has his own like you know visuals and brand and you know stuff like that but each to their own but yeah i feel like amongst all of that i'm i kind of as a person that has no staking of course i can live with most of it only because if I if I was going to pick a custodian for the whole for the whole essence of it, um, I feel like it should be somebody. It really seems like the perfect person to do that, and that I overall I cannot complain about. So um, yeah, it is. It says a lot of, uh, I guess, decisions that people don't fuck with, and you know that comes that comes part of, that's part of the course, right? For the more cooks in the kitchen. Uh, you're gonna have that, um. So you know, and that's kind of that's partly why, that's partly why I don't try and create a group of nine for anything. Like fuck, fuck that. That just that screams trouble. Um, for me personally, like, the more cooks, the worse it's gonna be. Um, for me personally, but um, yeah, you know, more co- <laughs> we shall get into the music next week. Um, which um <laughs> has been has been put uh won't be as long as this one. Uh, but then again, um, you know, we've done episodes where there's only two albums, so we'll, we'll, we'll find a way to make it in our, in our, our plus. Oh, we'll find a way. Don't worry we'll about that. I'm going to, I'm going to do some lyrical breakdowns. We've got the Glocko oh, pop. We'll be popping off the Glock, the Glocko pop and yeah, yeah the yeah, bit of domestic Glocko violence could be all sorts of oh, garbage gosh, you're next gonna week. Up, you're going to need to come up with another intro for next week now. I think it's timeless. I'm thinking. I'm kind of thinking we should just do Glocko Pop every episode. I don't <laughs> think it matters. I think it's that good, you know. Just need Glocko, oh, Glocko Pop, right. Pop, Pop. And with that said, we shall end that there. And hope to let know if you have anything. Oh, it's Charlie, what's happening with Chelsea? What's happening with Chelsea? They spent two billion dollars in the transfer market, and they drawing with everyone. They cannot <laughs> win. A game. Uh, uh, How could you be below Tottenham? We just lost four one to Leicester, and Chelsea like eight places below us. It's it's a, it's a debacle. It's it's a problem. Yeah. Well, it's not my money, so I don't care. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's not not 
not too great. I mean, shout out to Thomas Suchek, um, keeper of the year. Um, great save. Absolutely outstanding save at the end. Um, but yeah, man, it's, uh, it's, it is what it is. I, I, I just, I, this is the thing. I don't, and I've said this before, I don't uh, plant, you know, I feel like people have, with when, when people create their identities subconsciously, right, um, people take from certain things, right? I take a minimal amount of football to my identity. Like I'm not, I'm not man getting knocked out before the game. I don't know if you saw that video, but a Chelsea fan got knocked out before the game. No. Um, was and, it a bit of a hooliganism situation? Yeah, or? yeah. He was just like, he was just like, you know, pointing Mavin off and do just went, just one shot at him. Oh, yeah. got clap. You'll be careful. Um, he was just spark out and not my steez, bro. <laughs> just none of that is my steez. Like I'm not, I'm not. Hitting up games like that, it's not my steez. Like I'll watch games, you know what I mean? I'll watch it with my pops, even though he's a fucking curse on, on every time I go there. Um and you know, it's it's all fun. It's all it's all it's it's all within fun for me. It's a bit of banter. Um I'm not I I don't have a stake in Chelsea. I don't care on that front in terms of like, oh, they spent as much as, you know, several many countries GDP. I'm like, <laughs> okay. You know, it's fun to say. But it's not your money. It's not my money. I don't care. Like you know. And if Chelsea bottle it, then it's more more memes for everybody else. If Chelsea get dubs, you know, I'm gonna feel a little bit happier during during a Saturday afternoon. But you know, past that, I'm not beefing. But um, Champions League on Wednesday. Um, we'll see how that goes. I is feel Champions like... League back now? Is it? Oh fuck! Yeah, yes. yeah. Starting next Wednesday, bro. Yeah, man. Yeah. Get ready for AC Milan clash, bruv. Come on. I mean, they're doing shit. So we have, <laughs> we're a chance. We have a big yeah, chance. Yeah, Start Tanganga. Yeah. Get Tanganga in there. You know, you're off. You're ready to go. It's gonna be. Uh, it's exciting. Yeah. There you go. Ben suddenly feeling quietly confident. There you go. Um. But yeah, man. I'm. I just. I just don't plant my identity on Chelsea like that. I just. It's, it's funny. Like I'm. 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 I'm I'll have the laugh with people. Because it is je- like objectively hilarious that um, we literally have like practically a new team and it's just like still fucking can't finish for shit. It's absolutely oh so tra- it's tragic. Um, but yeah, man, here's what it is: growing pains. Well, on a football pains, note, and this is something that no one's gonna know except me. I play okay. I play FIFA a lot. I play FIFA every day, right? So I'm very I'm very good at FIFA. I don't play online. Uh, because I just couldn't be fucked. But I play on the hardest setting. So what I do is I go into a Football League 2 team, and like this this year it's been Leighton Orient. So I'm like, I think Leighton Orient's a cool name. They're, they're a cool team. They've got history, but they, 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 they've never had the success they deserve. So I'm like, I'm going to bring that success to Leighton Orient. So obviously in the you know Football League 2 season, there's like 48 games, and I'm playing on the very hardest possible setting on FIFA. I'm not going to play 48 games. No fucking way. What I decided to do was I'm going to win the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup, get that money, invest in some players, and then slowly build my team. So it took me an entire month, right, to win the first season of the Carabao Cup and FA Cup because every time I went down a goal down, I restarted the game. Because if you're playing with Leighton Orient versus Manchester City, how often do you think you're going to win that on the hardest setting? Not easy. But when you do win and you've been playing for like eight hours and you finally win, it is the most glorious thing. So that was, I started that like mid last year or like, you know, when FIFA 23 came out. I'm now in the championship, 
because I won the FA Cup, I got to go into the Europa League. So then I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to win the Europa League. So what I did was I found all these free agents, right? I went and looked. And again, yeah, I didn't have time. Yeah. I didn't have time to scout, so I would just go through the reams of free agents to find decent players. So I got David. I got David Silver at thirty-seven, and he was, a, you know, I've got Jan Vertonghen at thirty-eight. I've got oh Adan or Adan, the, the keeper. I've got him in there as well. I've got all these like dad's army. But then, <laughs> then right, if you if you're like smart about it, you get right at the start of transfer window, and you'll get oh. these superstars. So I got Aiden Hazard, right? No idea why he wanted to come play for me, but apparently his contract was up. So I paid him 20 20 grand a week. He plays for me. And so now I'm in the championship, and I just beat PSG in the Super Cup because, you know, the winner of the um, Europa League plays the winner of the Champions League in the Super Cup. And what a fucking moment it was. I'm completely alone in this house, apart from my cats, by the way, just playing by myself. 88th minute. Fucking Aiden Hazard from outside the box just curls in this world into the top corner. 2-1, I've won the game. Fucking scenes. Crazy scenes. Scared the shit out of my cats. My cats are elderly. They're 17 years old. They don't need this for their poor heart. So I'm jumping around. No one understands. I tell my partner about it. She's like, Ben, look, this sounds cool, but I don't get it. Like, that makes sense. And no one plays career mode, so no one cares. When I tell people, they're like, why don't you just play online? I'm like, but I play career mode. And they're like, well, no one plays that. So I'm one of like six people in the entire world who play career mode. Leighton Orient are coming first in the championship right now because every dollar I win, I reinvest into the tri- the, the, the free agents. Fucking legendary, man. Now that's part of my identity. Football, I didn't give a shit about Tottenham. Fuck Tottenham. <laughs> Tottenham beat Man City, and then they lose 4-1 to Leicester. <laughs> like, you can't. It's stupid. But Leighton Orient beating PSG, now that's something you can attach your personality to. That's a personality <laughs> trait right there. So I'm putting that on my fucking resume, man. Anyway, that's just me just flexing. I'm great at FIFA, if anyone wants Fair to Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, no, there's, there's plenty of those where I'm just like... Um... Uh, I I listen to some th- I listen to some podcast and I don't have really anybody to talk about it to and I'm just like oh this episode is gas or something like and I watch some shows or films and I'm like oh this is gas I've not talked about it with it's sad it's sad low key but um it is what it is and you love what you love so shout to big up playing Orient big <laughs> big up they're big going up, up man they're going up they're getting into the <laughs> Premier League in the next six or seven weeks and it's gonna be fucking <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Big up late for it. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, on the Fifth End Podcast Network, it's been digging digits. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm excited to take the Fifth End. I have been Ben Carter of Glockopop. <laughs> okay, all right, relax. Uh, part two of our uh, Rizzo retrospective, where we get into the tunes that you may or may not know if we know uh, if we like or not. Um, you just have to find out. Oh yeah. Until next week uh, to see if we. See what we feel about digital bullet. <laughs> digi bullets, digi snacks, digi, digi snacks. Digi. Yeah, digi. No analog uh, next week. It's all digital, uh, yeah. all digital. <laughs> all digital. All digital. All digital. Uh, but until then, until then, until. <laughs> hope you have a good week. We should always try and do the same. But until next time, take it easy. Thank you, All right, peace. D
the evening digits is produced by me and ben carter the show is edited by me music for the show is piece and video games by bonus points thanks to chill music for the ability to use socials for the fenomen hip-hop by numbers bonus points and chill music will be in the full show notes as well as the names of projects reviewed wherever you're listening it's been a fifth in podcast and production this has been the time of this we shall see you next time on digging in the desert